label yourself. Use your identity as something that God is God-given and use it as a tool for freedom to understand who you are. Start with, I'm a son or daughter of God. Well, here we are, September already. Can you believe it? The end of summer and yet... As the classic 90s song, Closing Time, says, every new beginning comes from some other beginning's end. I love that. Um, And, you know, the end of summer means a whole new season, right? It's school, it's football, it's pumpkin spice, if you can do that kind of thing. And, of course, podcasting. So here we are. We're back from our summer break. And I am so excited today to have our last guest of the summer back, Alan Arnold, who I had a great conversation with about his book, the story of with if you didn't listen to it you can stop now go back and listen to it or you can listen to this and then go back to that your choice but in fact that conversation was so great i invited him back to keep the discussion going so welcome welcome back alan thanks nancy it's it's really great to be back i i loved our first conversation and look forward to where this one takes us Oh, me too me too um because we talked about so many things so today it's going to be a challenge to Home in is it hone in or home in? I never get that right. Um, but you're, you're the publisher. I think it's home in, right? Home um, in. Yes, you're right. Okay, so um, so we're going to try to do that. So, but I want to do a little bit of a recap for those who maybe didn't hear the last podcast. So the story of with. Um, so I'll give you my take on it, and you can tell me if I'm right or wrong. But so the story of with really um, my takeaway is that you know it's all about a paradigm shift in our thinking from doing things for God to doing life with him, including our creative pursuits. Am I on the right track? Absolutely. Yeah. It's in fact, in the book, it's a, it's largely an allegory or story, but all the in-between sections are called a shift to with. So it is a paradigm shift of how we have been trying to make life work, even from good intentions, even from somebody who wants to know a lot about God to a shift of knowing God intimately as a son or daughter knows a father in a beautiful, intimate, ongoing relational way that that changes how we approach our gifting, our marriage, if we're married, our our parenting. So right, Nancy, it's, it's a huge shift from just saying, yep, I do know about God and I, and I try to go through life the best I can to actually not going through life alone anymore, but but really going through it together with God. Right. And, yeah, and what a powerful paradigm shift if we could really kind of wrap our minds around that because, you know, we know, yeah, we're created for community and, you know, we're not in this life alone, but I think so often it's easy to fall into the mindset that it's all up to me. Everything is up to me. And then um, for Christians, and obviously we're speaking to a lot of Christians right now, not everybody who's listening is, is a Christian, but whatever, you know, whatever you think you're doing this for, you know, a higher power or for the good of mankind, it's a lot of pressure to think that you've got to come up, you know, you've got to do this yourself. And um, your paradigm shift, I, I think, you know, takes a lot of that pressure off that, no, we're not, we're not meant to do this alone. Exactly. And what you're naming earlier is a lot of times when we dive into our motive, uh, what, what, what is the reason 
that we do what we do? Why do we do what we do? A lot of times it does come down to this feeling of, well, it is up to me. And if I don't come through, if I don't make it happen, if I don't fight for something, then I really can't trust that God's going to do it for me. And I sure don't want to be passive. And so the best way forward is just to strive and and assume it's up to me. And if God comes through, great. But if he doesn't, I've got it. And, And I'm not encouraging people to be passive. This is actually a very active lifestyle. It's actually um, a much wilder, freer lifestyle, what I would call a bohemian lifestyle, because it is risky and it is um, counterintuitive to decide to live life where you release all illusion of control, where you say, no longer am I going to try to make it happen in my own strength, no longer am I going to assume I have all the answers. I'm going to ask God. I'm going to wait for him. I'm going to watch for him. And it's not about, Nancy, you know, I've, I've come to realize even in the last year I've seen this more and more, it's not about going faster or slower than we go right now. It's actually learning to go at God's pace and his rhythm. And so, you know, for some people who like to go really fast and and make it happen, make it happen, make it happen. Well, maybe God is saying, you're actually trying to run faster than I am. Like, slow down, follow me, come with me. And for people who are used to being super slow and methodical and pro and con list and cross every T, dot every I, God may be saying, actually, it's time to dive off the cliff into the ocean below. And you won't have all the answers. And you're not. we're not going to wait until you feel totally great about this. The time is now. And so it's, it's an adventure because it's not about go slower in everything in life or go faster. It's about what pace is God going for you? And now will you go at that pace with him? And isn't it great that it's not like this methodology or this template? Okay, well, here's the 12 easy steps to, you know, the life that you want. And nothing knocking that because some of those steps are really good, you know, good uh, principles. But what I'm hearing you say is that it's, it's, it's not this formula. It's, it's much more personal than that. And God doesn't look so at much, us. Yeah. yeah as as a personality type, you know, and there's so much talk about that, you know, everybody's trying to figure out what, you know, are you a golden retriever or, you know, or w- what wing are you, or, you know, and the Enneagram, whatever, but, and those things are all true. We are wired. Some people are wired slow and some people are wired fast. And, you know, like you said, spreadsheets and pro and con, sh- you know, lists and all that kind of stuff. But wherever we're wired, that's where God meets us and challenges us. And I love that. I love it. Yeah, and personality tests, you know, or, or measurements that we take online or, or that that have been around, some of them are new, some have been around forever. Um, the problem is they, I think, they focus on where we are, not who we could be. And so it's, it's like taking your car into a repair shop and then saying, yeah, your car, you know, uh, the engine's not running good and and uh, the shocks are out. Well, we don't then define the car as, yep, we took a test. This is how my car this is. This is who you are. Yes. And, <laughs> and this five is how years you later, always, it yes. is going to be that car. Right. And it's you like, shall always don't be. Don't you want it? Yeah. <laughs> do, you want it do, you want it, do you want your car to be made 
better. You want it fixed. Well, instead of measuring, you know, if, if somebody's a highly driven, highly productive guy like I used to be, I would take all the tests and it would measure me that way. But a lot of that was my brokenness and my striving. And so for me then to go, well, that's just who I am. No, actually, that's how I'm acting and what I'm doing out of some unhealed places. So is productivity wrong? No. Is being driven wrong? Uh, well, it depends what's driving you. But but it's it's not what a test measures and then tells you so you can embrace. It's actually saying, God, who did you create me to be? And now can you heal those broken places so that I can become that person, not claim who I am and carve it in stone based on some test? Oh, my gosh. I love that. Yes, you're right. Because so often we think, like you said, the the broken car analogy is like, well, this is a pronouncement. This is who you are. And no, I mean, and even even some of the ways that we're wired like you said, some people are more type A and some are more type B and some are engineers and some are this and some are that. Um, and there's a duality to that. Um, on the one hand, it's like we can look at the way we're wired as brokenness, which is not necessarily so. But we can also look at our brokenness as the way that we're wired, which is also not so. So it's kind of like this tension between the two. And that's why we need God to meet us in the midst of it. Right. And, when and you know, when people will say... Um, boy, I'm introverted. I've always been introverted. Well, why? If you know, why have you been introverted? If it's because you don't feel like people really want to listen to you or, or you're, you have low confidence or you grew up in a home where your parents ignored you or you, you don't, uh, feel the confidence to, to speak out in a group because of some issue. Well then, don't just carry around an introverted label. My goodness, ask God to go into those places and heal because Jesus, was Jesus introverted or extroverted? Is God introverted or extroverted? Well, like we'd hear that question and we'd laugh and go, well, I mean, yeah, Jesus spent time alone and Jesus was very comfortable with large groups of people. And if we're a son or daughter of God, uh, I don't think anybody would call God introverted. But extroverted is a weird label for God. So it's taking the labels away and saying, don't label yourself. Use your identity as something that God is God-given and use it as a tool for freedom to understand who you are. Start with, I'm a son or daughter of God. Not what you do. So if I'm at a writer's conference, you know, I'll tell the audience, you're not primarily a writer. Let that go. And and you'd think I, you know, set off a, a nuclear bomb because there's so many times people are tied to what they do. Oh, yeah. And it's like you are a son or daughter who writes. You're not primarily a writer because if you are, what happens one day when you no longer can write? If, oh if, you know, then, oh then who boy. are you? Now you've really done it. Now you've just unraveled everything. So, but if you're a son or daughter, it's not earned and it's not based on doing. And, and so, uh, when you catch yourself, you know, if you're listening to this and catch yourself saying, Oh my gosh, you know, 
I'm introverted, my husband's extroverted. Well, maybe you're both showing signs of that and are more comfortable in those places because of some things you have been avoiding and need to step into. And yep, you may always love reading a book in silence and solitude. And that's great. But at least rather than label yourself, at least go, actually, I also love people being around people too. And I can do that in a whole way. And I can go off for a weekend of solitude and do that in a whole way. I'm not one or the other. I'm a whole human being that has freedom in crowds and has freedom in isolation and alone. But I do that because I'm never completely alone. I'm always with God. And so I'm in that identity as a son or daughter stepping into anything in life. Nothing will throw me off because it comes because I feel like it doesn't fit my label. I let go of the label and now I step into true identity and wholeness. And I think, Nancy, when people do that, uh, there's so much freedom. You know, there's comfort in labels because it it basically says, you know, well, no, I can't do this well because I'm not this. But let go of the comfort of old labels to step into, I think, the, the wildness of new freedom. And the freedom is now you can step into any situation. You can, You don't have to avoid certain things or feel like you're incapable of certain things when you have the right identity, which is God-given, not test-driven. Oh, Alan, 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 this whole subject of identity, I mean, I, I think I am not making an overstatement, in my mind anyway, that I think this is the issue of the age that we are in right now, in our culture, in our time, in our history. This whole subject of identity is so huge when you all you have to do is turn your computer on or your phone you know anything on social media or news it's all about identity right how we identify ourselves and who we identify ourselves with and that becomes preeminent like you're saying and there's comfort in that there's safety in that right so if i'm a part of this group or that group that's who i am it's safe and yet it as you said it limits us it limits us from trying new things. It limits us from the way we see ourselves and then in the way we're telling others to see us. And frankly, I'm, I'll say this, I'll personalize this so I'm not stepping on toes or at least I'm stepping on my own. It's lazy because it, it keeps me from dealing with some real issues and growing. So huge issue. I Yeah, 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 yeah. So on that note, um, Let's let's dig in a little deeper to this because you know with the, so the last the last time we talked we we touched on a lot of this and especially the whole idea idea of creatives right because that there's sort of an identity there's there's a group of people right the creatives who are these creatives so and that's what I wanted to talk about today um, and kind of focus in on that this whole idea of creativity so. I'm going to start here. I'm going to, um, okay, chaos. Chaos and creativity. And that might seem like a weird place to start, but there's a method to my madness. So chaos obviously seems antithetical to creativity, but how do you see those, those two concepts working together? Great question. Well, okay, so first, let me, let me back 
into the answer by saying, um, you mentioned this group of creatives. And I would say, actually, we are all creative. Everybody, not just everybody listening, but everybody. Because as sons and daughters, going back to identity, our father, God, is first known the first way he wants to be known, makes himself known in the Bible, is as a creator. That's the very first way we get to know him in Genesis. And we are his sons and daughters. And so we have the DNA of creativity in us. It's not an elite group of people. It's not limited to the few. But I do think it's the few and the rare that that step into it well and pursue it well. But, but everybody is, I believe, creative. And the definition of creativity that I kind of have just come up with and use all the time, it's at the top of my website, is creativity is basically bringing something new into existence, and it changes the atmosphere, and it happens through our presence and our gifting. So it's not just what we do, it's who we are. Mm-hmm. And by the way, that's how God created in Genesis. It wasn't just, you know, random things being created. He was creating from a place of who he is, so we see him in creation. And so his creativity was presence-driven and gifting-driven, and ours is as well. And so, and so if you start there and say, okay, everyone has creativity in their DNA. Some, some have never tried to grow it or embrace it or don't believe they have it and avoid it and, and have shut it down. Absolutely, that's true. But, but everybody has it. And then it's kind of the rare few who I think pursue it in intimacy with God. And so there's a lot of people who pursue their creativity in ways that uh, are dark and, and reflect a hopelessness they have about life or reflect a hedonistic lifestyle that they have chosen to live. So they apply their God-given creativity to a very fallen way of seeing the world. And so there's songs and movies and paintings and photography and um, all kinds of expressions of creativity gone sideways, gone wrong, because it's, it's void of God. But the rare few are the ones who know they're creative and who embrace their creativity with the creator. And for those rare few, um, they're not rare because it's like an elite thing or a snobby kind of, uh, you know, fraternity or sorority that kicks everybody else out. It's rare because most people um, do not understand God's invitation to co-create together and they're willing to let go of their control and step into that. So that so start there as a foundation. Okay. And, yes. Yeah. That's and that's you a know, great we, foundation. Yeah. yeah. So and and on that note, because yeah, I, I want to hear your thoughts on the whole chaos thing, but 
but since we're here, yes, because I've given this a lot of thought since we last talked and since I read your book. Um, and yeah, we do, we get this idea, right, of what it means to be a creative, right? Um, and, you know, they're the bohos, right? They dress like hippies, they live in lofts, or they only eat locally sourced, non-GMO, plant-based diet, or, you know, they, they spend their days dreaming and painting or whatever. And, and okay, that's the picture that maybe some people have in mind, and yours might be slightly different, but the point is, we get this picture in our minds of what it means to be creative. And you talked about, you know, it's, it's this elite group of artists, of course. And yet, you know, as to speak to what you're just talking about, I, I was thinking about this because I happen to be married to a highly creative person who, although, you know, he appreciates the arts, but he's highly creative in a very different way. He has this brilliant mind for the way things work. And right, right. his wheels are constantly spinning and he's creating things in his mind. And you can see it when you talk to him. He's always, always creating, but not necessarily what we would call works of fine art. He's designing machines and processes and he's passionate about making things work better. And he is highly, highly creative. So it speaks to what you're talking about that, you know, we're all designed to be creative by bringing our giftings and who we are, which I think is so powerful. I love that you include that. Yeah, well, it's, and creativity looks so different between, I mean, it's the difference, you know, when God in creation, there's mountains, and then there's uh, sea otters, and, you know, there's fields of grain, and there's oceans. And so our creativity between what your husband does and what you do and what the listeners drawn to, right. Like it, it's, it will look radically different, but the question is, are you basing your presence, who you are and your gifting, what you do in intimacy with God and, and from an identity in God uh, as a son or daughter. And if you're doing that, then it is rare, I think. I, I, I wish it would be 100% of everybody. Like, that's what God would desire, um, is everybody discover and step into their identity and intimacy in their gifting with Him. But I don't see that in the world. Like, I don't observe that being the majority of people. And so, you know, that's part of why I travel the country and talk to people and write books and speak is on this topic for that reason. It's that passion to awaken more people to this chaos um, comes in. I believe, I mean, we live in a world of chaos. Jesus says in this world, you will have troubles. I think you could translate that in terms of meaning equally well to say in this world, you're going to have chaos. Like you, you are in a fallen world and it is chaotic, and nobody, I think, who has clear thinking would believe otherwise. Like, I mean, every day brings with it, no matter how we try to keep it on track, how we try to keep it peaceful, how we try to keep it calm. Like, every day brings, you know, there the car breaks down. Um, a teenager uh, has a, has an issue that you know our son or daughter that we need to step in to on financial crisis. Um, there's chaos in marriage, in politics, in in you know in just the fallen world. There's all kinds of things. Every day brings its own chaos, 
Right. And I believe so, me, entropy, husband. And my husband would call that entropy. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah. So, so when we face that, what is our response to chaos? Well, usually, most people, it in some form or fashion. I'll give you some examples, but all of the all of the result is it makes them more chaotic. It makes us more chaotic. Chaos shapes us, but that's done through a variety of different ways. For some people, they try to be really controlling. If I can just control everything in my life, and for them, they start living a smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller story because the reality is we control very little. And so another person may say, well, I'll just wait it out. And so they kind of freeze everything in their life until chaos passes. Other people hunker down, um, you know, they get in the fetal position, they panic, they, they freeze, they, uh, there's fear uh, for some, they just re relent and give in and go, yep, that's just the way the world is. All of those things, responses, I think, are not good, not the way God would have us respond. The way I think that he would have us respond is how he responded to chaos in Genesis 1-2, where if you read that kind of mysterious verse, it's, he, his spirit hovers over this murky darkness, this, this watery substance, what a lot of the original Hebrew translations and scholars would say is defining chaos. Right. And God goes into the chaos and he transforms it. So Nancy, what I'm saying is we have a choice. The choice is, do we let chaos shape us? Or do we transform chaos? And if we want to transform chaos, then we do that through our presence and our gifting. Um, and we do it the way God did, which wasn't to run from it, wasn't to fear it, wasn't to wait it out on the sideline, but it was to go into it. And, and what he did in Genesis from that was bring beauty, life, and order. He brought order from disorder. So the invitation for us as creative sons and daughters is we get to step into chaos. We're not creating chaos. We're not baiting it. We're not, we're not, we're not, we're not uh, fascinated by chaos and running to it and stirring it up more. And we're certainly not called to create our own chaos. But, but when chaos comes, we can bring beauty, life, and order to it, whether it's a teenager who is out of control or, or, or melting down, or whether it's an office situation or preschoolers at home or financial situations. We can step into those situations, and instead of them making us more chaotic, we can bring a strength that we can reshape it and actually create and i'm using the word create intentionally as creatives we create beauty life in order and sometimes we do that with works on a canvas and sometimes we do that through our presence and it's through words and conversation and sometimes it's just us entering a room and we don't have to say a word and other times it's through our art. So, um, 
that's what I mean when I talk about chaos and creativity. Like when we think about, okay, what is true creativity? How, what is our gifting? But now, beyond our gifting, what is our presence? No, I'm not. I'm not an introvert, and I'm not a. I'm not an. Uh, you know a. You know, an otter or or whatever the, you know, these characters are. I'm not a, you know, type B or whatever. I am actually a son or daughter of God, and I can step into the chaos because all the labels that the world tries to put on me or that I've taken on for comfort or because I just want to have an, I just want to know who I am. What I'm saying is. Dump all those labels. Like, yep, they may measure who you are today. It may be an accurate reflection of what you do to get through life. But dump it. Because ask God from a fresh start, who do you say I am? Yep, this test says this is who I am. I think I'm going to rely on you, God, more than a test. Because all a test can do is measure the status quo. And I don't believe I'm, I'm fully who you have made me to be in this moment. And so I'm not going to take a label from a test that measures this moment and then carve it into my, you know, or tattoo it on my forearm and say, this is who I am. Actually, God, you get to say who I am. And, and now I go in that identity into the chaos of my life and the world. And through that identity, I can reshape what's going on. I can bring order. I can bring beauty. I can bring life. I don't become more chaotic. And I do that through identity and through intimacy with God. I don't do that in my own strength. So that's a... Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. So that is so important because I, I think even even when you know we can acknowledge that, okay... Yeah, my identity is in is in God for the fact that He created me. You know, it it can be very well true. All right, I'm wired a certain way. He wired me with a certain personality, and that's that's fine. But even with that being true, you know, the the way that we're wired, which maybe isn't our brokenness, it's the way He wired us for His glory. When that becomes the preeminent thing and the defining thing, even those good things that He's made about us get out of they get out of whack and it becomes a situation where I, I see I see this all the time, and b- the reason I see it so clearly in the world and everybody else is because it's true of me, right? That when, when those identities take preeminence, it's the same as me saying, I call the shots. I am made in my image. In fact, you know, you had spoken to this earlier, you know, about how do we see Jesus? Is he an introvert or an extrovert? Is this or that? I think we tend to see Jesus. We tend to see God after our own self-made image. Well, I think Jesus is this way because I'm this way. You, do you know what I mean? Right. And I think you've named something really key. Uh, and I saw it in myself this morning. So before we started this conversation, I was dropping my kids off to school. We're in one car right now because our other car is in the shop uh, because we had a chaotic day yesterday with, with the car breaking down, but we didn't let chaos overtake our day. But there was unexpected turbulence in the day because of that. So we're in one car. My wife and I are driving our kids to school. And there's a drop-off area, 
And so, Nancy, when you, so like, you know, the car pulls up, kids get out, car moves on, next car, same thing. There's a line of people. Well, one of one of my pet peeves is when the person at the front, the, the tip of the funnel, lets their kids out and then they just stay there. And they're checking text or they're, you know, they, the kids out of the car, but they're just kind of, for whatever reason, they're not moving. And so now every car behind them piles up and people are trying to get their kids in before the, the bell rings. And so I'm driving and we've let our kids out and I'm stuck behind the car right in front of me at the very front of the line who, who the person is just on their phone. Uh, check it looks like checking text or something, but not moving, waiting on a kid. Maybe, I don't know. And well, that just, it takes everything in me not to want to just lay on the horn and, or, or step out and knock on her window and ask her to move on or, or just internally start to get feel chaotic. And my wife is very calm and, and patient and gracious and empathetic. And so she sees my hand going toward the horn and she's like, don't do it, Alan. Don't, 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 don't honk the horn. Just be patient. And I'm like, I know, but in my, in my, and, and we processed it and I didn't honk. I just kind of found a way to get around her. But in my strength and who God created me to be, I think there is a really good part of me that is a guy that can make things happen and, and I see a problem like that and I want to solve it. Like this is a roadblock. This needs to move. And yet if I let that wiring that God gave me to be, to be, um, a proactive, make it happen, fix the problem guy in my brokenness, it can become, um, at all cost. And so in other words, it doesn't matter what's going on in that woman's life right now. It, I just need to get, she just needs to move. And my wife was like, you're, you're taking your strength, but then you're letting it become chaotic and you're working yourself up over without any empathy toward the person. And it was a fascinating conversation that really at its root tied to, right, if our strength or our gifting becomes, if the enemy can get in there, where it's all of a sudden, I'm using my gifting to make things happen or get things done, but I'm no longer valuing the people around me, or I'm no longer identifying myself through my truest strength, but I'm kind of turning it a little, shifting it a little, things can get really wonky really fast. Oh, for sure, for sure. And like I said, the reason I recognize it so easily in others is because it's true of me, you know, and whenever whenever I let whatever it is, the, the wiring, and, and again, like you said, you're, you are wired, you're a make things happen kind of guy, and God wired you that way for his glory. Um, and, you know, and I'm wired with a, a certain, you know, the, my creative uh, out-of-the-box thinking, and that's great, and then God uses that. But when I let that get in the way and that becomes preeminent, and then I stop yielding to the voice of the Holy Spirit, uh, you know, for example, <laughs> and yeah, things can get pretty uh, chaotic, chaotic, yeah, pretty chaotic, pretty quickly. Um, and to the point that you said earlier, you know, we don't, I love that you said this, that we're not really, you know, we're not creating chaos. 
or, or at least that's the goal. The goal of a creative is to not create chaos. So, well, hey, if chaos is good, that's an opportunity. Well, then we should create more chaos. And I think, again, I recognize this in myself, and I see it in the world around me. I think to an extent, we, we do have that tendency to, whether we realize it or not, to create that chaos around us because, hey, that means it's an opportunity for me to intervene, right? And and um, and use my identity that I've put front and center above my identity in in being a child of God. I'm going to come in and save the day. So right. why don't God, I start a few God. fires that I can put out? Right. And I think that's so essential for listeners and us, you and me, to remember, like, God does not create chaos in us. God does not, you know, chaos is kind of an undoing or a disorder. God is a God of creation and order. And so anytime we feel the pull into chaos, that's not, I don't believe that is from God, nor do I believe it's, it's what he's inviting us to to step into in a way that makes us more chaotic. So even like in that traffic line today, um, yeah, that woman needed to move, you know, like she, she was either oblivious or didn't care. I, I mean, I think those are the, probably the two most likely motives. Either she had no idea what she was doing or she, she did know and chose to do it anyway. But if my response to that makes me more chaotic and I take offense and I get angry and I just want to, you know, move her vehicle without any care for her, then it's hard to do that as a son of God because I'm not walking in my gifting with God anymore. I'm letting chaos turn me into something other for that moment, I I become more chaotic. And so, right, we're never called to create chaos. And in fact, a lot of, a lot of the TV shows, a lot of the movies, a lot of the songs, a lot of the politics of the day, if you look at it through that filter and think, okay, their invitation is chaos. Their invitation is, um, for, forget any type of order. Um, you know, create frenzy, create chaos, and uh, um, do whatever you want to do. Um, you know, a lot of that is that that chaos-driven invitation to a lot of our popular art, culture, politics. Uh, it's very hard, I think, to to to, to justify that from a God-given. You know, you, you may want to change things. Change can be really good, and there's a lot that needs to be changed in politics, and there's a lot that needs to be changed in culture. But but the change agent is love, not chaos. Oh, wow. Yeah. Another and that's big to remember. So when you're, when you're trying to change things out of hatred and... and, and anger and fury and, and, you know, the, the other group is the enemy and you just want to trample them and, and, you know, you go, okay, well, 
where is, where is, how does that reflect God or, or the way Jesus did things again? Because it's either love or fear-based, and, and those forms of chaos are fear-based um, and self-based, not love-based and other-based. So it, it applies beyond creativity for sure. Oh, yeah. If only we could get all of the chaos people to listen to what you just said because it's it's all them it's not me right um of course i know it's me but what you just said is so so important that it's love it's not chaos that changes things because you're right you know we do we look at the world and we see okay things need to change for sure but I think we've kind of conflated change in, with, well, I need to be an agitator because only agitators get things done. And how do you agitate? You create chaos. Um, and yet um, I'm thinking of a, a quote from someone, I won't, I won't mention names because uh, it would open up a whole other can of worms. But, you know, a quote from someone that says, hey, you know, if you want to change the world, why don't you start by cleaning your room? You know, <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. maybe, maybe right. I should bring some order rather than continuing to disrupt things because maybe looking into the situation, what can I do to make it better, might bring about the change that I want. Right, because if, you're, if your forte or if your claim to fame is simply you instigate chaos, why would we want you to lead a family, a company, uh, presidency or anything else if if what you're most known for is just unraveling things and, and chaos because that's not the mark of a good leader is what they create how they bring order how they bring beauty peace love not I can implode everything like, mm-hmm. you know, a, a toddler can implode everything. A toddler can walk up to a Lego set and with one swipe of the hand implode the whole thing. But that toddler can't recreate that 4,000 piece work of art. And so, uh, yeah, right. Like, I think we're living in a world where people critique and implode and bring throw chaos at things and we don't really need more of that we've got plenty of that the world in a fallen world it has that already so we don't need we don't need that what we need are people who say yep there's things that need to change now how do we do that in a way that brings beauty life and order not divisiveness hatred uh, you know, uh, or, or on the other, you know, kind of way to see it, uh, a, a permissiveness of everything goes, everybody do what you want. It's all about you. It's all about self. Like that's chaos too, because if everybody thinks the world revolves around them, you have created chaos, you know, in a, in a, on an individual level that spreads and because it's an impossibility. The world doesn't revolve around any of us. And if that's all of our goal and we're offended when it doesn't, then quickly chaos erupts um, in a, in a narcissistic self-entitled uh, way, you know, way of living. And so, 
this is really applicable, I think, uh, if, if the listeners, you know, yep, start with your identity, start, start with then going into your creativity and knowing who you are and walking in that in intimacy with God, and then start to realize, as a son or daughter of the Creator, you, He showed us, He mentored us how to reform, reshape, reshape, chaos. And, and, and I don't believe he just did it as a way to begin the story of creation. He did it to say, as I do, now you do. As your father, I'm showing you, I'm modeling something. Now you do it. Now you step in the chaos of your world and reorder it and bring beauty and life. And you, through your gifting and through who you are, change what's out there. Change the atmosphere for better. So, I think that's, that's like uh, the heart of our conversation today is, is naming that and then inviting people into it. Yeah, yeah. So, I was, you know, and I was going to ask you, but you've already answered my question. But uh, um, so the question was, and what, you know, what does that look like to offer yourself? What does that mean? But you just laid that out. You know, offering ourselves is, first of all, establishing what our true identity is, right? That we are, we are sons and daughters of the Creator first and foremost. And from there, we get to offer, we get to offer our wiring our skills, our giftings, but even more importantly, ourselves into whatever situation we find ourselves in to make it, to bring beauty, to bring truth, to bring uh, our presence and ultimately his presence, right? Because in him, those of us that, that walk with him and know him, in him we live and we move and we have our being. And when we do that, it does make the world better. It makes the world what it was meant to be from the beginning. There's a restoration, um, and you know when we when we don't do that, I guess well, let's just land here. And it almost seems like okay, well, if we know what happens when we do, it's obvious what happens when we don't. But I I think that's my last question for you today. What happens when we don't do that? When I say yeah, but I'm only this. I'm not that. I'm just blah blah blah. Fill in the blank. What what happens when we when we kind of just don't offer ourselves for whatever reason? Well, when we don't when we don't operate out of our true identity, then we, I think we lose any ability to, to bring a strength to the situation because whatever the situation is, because if I believe, uh, wow, I'm an introvert and there's this gathering, but, you know, I... People probably don't care if I'm here or not, and I don't have much to offer, and nobody's really asking me about my life, and and so I think I'm just going to slip out. Well, when we make that decision or agreement out of a false identity, I'm an introvert, I have, don't have much to offer, I'm, I'm more comfortable by myself, so I'll just fade out. Well, then we don't have any ability to change the atmosphere of that gathering. We're, we're, we've been neutered, neutralized. 
you know, taken away. We've taken ourselves out because of false beliefs. On the other hand, if we think, well, yeah, I've been talking most of the time in the conversation with these people, and I probably talk 95% of the time, but hey, I'm an extrovert, and that's who I am. I'm the life of the party. I'm the guy that, or the gal that just, you know, people love hearing me talk. Well, you you haven't left the situation, but you've so dominated it that you've actually not been helpful in changing the atmosphere in a positive way because you've just focused on yourself the whole time. So. Any false identity, um, and by false I mean any man-given, man-made, test-driven identity that measures aspects of who we are by how we're acting or how we answer questions isn't the same as starting with no matter how I'm acting, no matter what I'm saying or doing as a way of getting through life. I want to know how God made me, not how I have, not how I have decided life works best when I cope this way. And by doing that, we start the foundation the right way. And when we don't do that, we've allowed the world to tell us who we are. And you can't enter into chaos and bring beauty, life, and order from a false identity. We can't oh, do it man. from our own strength. We can't do it. We can't do it with our coping mechanisms. You know, it's like walking into the eye of a storm. Um, you're just going to get shredded. You're going to get blown away because we don't have the natural strength. That's it's God. It's God with us that allows us to enter in and reshape things and bring beauty and life and order. So when we're walking in with our broken false identities, our labels, you know, that sound really true and may be true based on how we're acting. It may be a true description of how we're acting, but we don't know who we really are then we're either going to make a chaotic situation more chaotic or we're just going to get shredded. Mm-hmm. So, okay, wow. So you just said blown away. All right, I don't know if the, you know, if the explosion came through, but like my, okay, this is mind blown right now because what you just said, I'm latching on to, and I feel like the Holy Spirit is speaking through through this conversation that, you know, there are two ways that we don't offer ourselves. And I think we can recognize when we say, well, I shrink back and, oh, what do I have? And, oh, you know, we out of fear or insecurity or whatever. That's one way we do it. But you brought up something that I, I think is just uh, revolutionary that maybe a lot of us don't consider that another way we don't offer ourselves is by offering a false self. And we think, yeah, I'm offering. Here I am. I'm showing up or whatever. But if it's not offering our true identity, then it's it's just as good as as shrinking back. So I, I think there's so many implications of that. Alan, I have just I've loved this conversation and uh, well, Nancy, let me just yeah. say let me just add on that last part. Right, because in either situation, we're not allowing ourselves to be fully known. Right. We're posing, we're offering some false version of ourselves that that works or we think works, or, or that hides or protects us. And so whether we're loud or quiet, whether we're aggressive or passive, whether we're the life of the party or we fade away, 
if we're doing that not out of a true identity, then we're not allowing ourselves to be known. And, and many times that's because we don't know ourselves. And, and so, right, no matter how it plays out, the answer is not to take another test. It's to become a son or daughter and go, God, father me, reveal to me, shine light on who you made me to be. What does it look like when there's no brokenness and there's no adapting that I've done to try to make life work? And I've seen really introverted people become so much more outgoing. And I've seen really extroverted people just quit talking so much like they don't because they're not trying they're not striving to get people to like them and they don't feel like they have to carry the conversation and so anyway yes it plays out in a hundred million different ways but the answer is go back to god who did you have in mind when you made me help me be that that alan or that nancy or that whoever is listening help me be me that you made me to be before the world and others and sin and striving got in. And then you're ready to transform chaos because, because you are coming at it with God from a place of wholeness. And when you know who you are and you're entering into something with God, you may not be able to prevent chaos from happening, but you can always bring beauty, life, and order into that chaos. What a great place to land. Uh, that, Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Alan, this has been such a great conversation. Um, I want people to know how they can... Um, how they can find out more, how they can get your book. I also know, you know, you're a part of a regular part of the Ransomed Heart podcast. So, so tell people how, if they, if they want to learn more, um, how, how can they find you? Sure. Well, the best way to find me is you can start at my website. It's with Alan, W I T H A L L E N dot com. There's videos and blogs and, and a lot of this type of thinking and, and just, it's a journey into life with God. And so I invite people to go there. Um, uh, the book, the story of with is really the entry point into all of this. Uh, how do you enter into a life of intimacy and identity and creativity with God actively with God? And so the book, the story of with on Amazon, a great way. Um, we have weekly ransomed heart podcast and I produce those and I'm in uh, many of the conversations and we talk about issues of the heart and issues of intimacy with God. So that's another way. And then I would just close on, um, if anybody is in the Texas area, um, I'll be speaking live for a weekend for whether you're single or married, whether you're consider yourself a creative or just are hungry for more of this. The weekend is how do you overcome the chaos in your life? And it'll be in Wimberley, Texas, outside of Austin. And it will be the last weekend of October. So just not far from now in terms of time. And you can find out more about that at heartsfullyalive.com. They're the people putting on the event. But yeah, if you like it, what we talked about here for a little bit of time, uh, let's spend a weekend diving really deep into it. And uh, you'll be around a lot of like-minded bohemians if you come. 
Awesome. All right, so mark your calendars, fellow misfits, and Alan, once again, thank you so much for for being with us today. Uh, like I said, I've loved this conversation, and I do hope at some point we, we get to um, have another conversation down the road because there's there's so much more to talk about. But again, thank you so much. Absolutely. Thanks, Nancy. It's been so fun. So here's the thing. That whole thing about the retreat Alan was telling us about, I had no idea about this when we started the conversation. In fact, he had no idea that we were even going to talk about chaos because I didn't really give him heads up. The conversation just kind of happened that way. Coincidence? I think not. I love when that happens. So yeah, maybe you're listening to this because you're supposed to go to this retreat. Who knows? Maybe you should go check it out at heartsfullyalive.com. And you can also learn more about Alan, even get his book, The Story of With, at withallen.com. Or maybe you're listening to this just because you need to hear this stuff, and maybe you know someone else who needs to hear it. In which case, you have my full permission, nay, my encouragement to share this podcast. I've said it before, and it certainly applies here again. These are words of life, and we can never get enough of those. So, my misfit friend, keep listening, keep owning your awkward, and keep looking for beauty and truth until we awkwardly meet again.